welcome back. Uh, no, we're, we're punished, or is it for our growth, or how do you see it? The way I explain karma in Courageous Souls is that it's a neutral, impersonal law of the universe, very similar to gravity. So, for example, if one of your listeners, you know, God forbid, were to stumble and fall as they're walking after listening to the show this evening, they would not say, uh, gravity is punishing me. They would not say, I have been victimized by gravity. They would not say, gravity is out to get to me. Uh, you know, these, these would be preposterous statements. We understand right. that gravity is, is a neutral law of the universe. It just is. And, and it just is. And yeah. in much the same way, this is how karma operates. It's a law of the universe. It's not personal. It's not an attack against you. It's not intended to be a punishment. It is rather a, a tool for growth and learning. So um, it, it, it will balance your karma. Let's say if you've done a lot of damage to others with a bad attitude about it, then perhaps that needs to come around to you so that you can basically learn that that's not the way to be in a uh, sustainable universe. Well, that is, that is one of the things that I saw frequently in the research for my book is that uh, souls would have a life review and they would see that they had uh, treated people in certain ways that were less than loving in the past lifetime. And so they decided to experience what they had caused others to experience. But again, it, it was not set up to be a punishment. It was set up to be a, a way to learn empathy, compassion, unconditional love, yeah. uh, basically to evolve. Yeah. So I, we don't really have a wrathful God that uh, seeks out vengeful punishment we simply have a natural law of karma, which is like you reap what you sow, cause and effect. That's certainly my understanding and my belief. Uh, I, I also believe that God is completely, totally, unconditionally loving, completely uh, non-judgmental. God is not keeping score. Yeah, God is evolving us and making more developed beings out of us, but you know, uh, keeping score or judging or condescending doesn't do any good. No, judgment is really, I think, a phenomenon of our dimension. We as human beings judge. We judge each other. We judge everything that happens to us as good or bad. But the soul does not look at experiences here as good or bad. The soul views them with neutrality. Right. Okay. Um, let's see. So you write that we're all connected like uh, and affected, by one another on an energy level. Talk to us about that. Well, one of the things I, I talk about in Courageous Souls, one of the most important concepts is what I refer to in the book as the energetic pathway. And you might think of it as though each one of us is an explorer using a machete to hack through a very thick jungle. So we're blazing a trail through this jungle uh, that makes it easier for other people to follow behind us. And this is true regardless of where the trail goes or how we blaze the trail. So we can make loving decisions and we cut this path of love through the forest and that makes it easier for other people to do that. Or we can make fear-based decisions in which we treat others or ourselves in ways that are not loving and that also makes it easier for others to do that. Basically, I think we are always teaching no matter what we do, no matter what we say. We're always in the role of teacher, whether we realize it or not. And so this path that you blaze through the jungle, it's not just for you. There are others behind you, and you might want to give some thought as to what sort of path you want to make it easier for other people to follow. 
So who we are, our, our inner uh, agendas and motives, and how we are uh, exudes and eff- pretty much affects everyone to some extent. Yes, I, I believe that we're all energetically connected, and this is, of course, not a new concept. Now, it, it, to some people, it's hard to grasp, or it seems foreign or improbable, because the five senses, in most cases, are, are not set up to perceive these non-physical energies. But it's my understanding that uh, if we could perceive them, we, we would actually literally see energetic connections between all of us. Because after all, uh, for, the, for your listeners who are familiar with the concept of oneness, there's really only one being in the entire universe, and it's you, and it's me, and it's George Bush, and it's every person who's listening out there. We're all individualized expressions of the one. I often consider uh, each of us like individual units or cells of the whole. And so you take a look at an individual cell of your body. Take a look at it like one little piece of your finger, that kind of thing. And it's there to make the whole body. It's not there just to grandstand, look how great I am. Actually, the value and the function, and I think intrinsically in in all of life, is to serve the whole. At the same time, each uh, different from each cell in our body that are basically the same cells, you know, each person does have its own unique personality that they're here to change and to work and transform. Right. I think the cell analogy is a good one, and I think you can even take that a step farther. I think when it comes to people, you could even say that we are, each one of us is a cell in the heart of God or creator or source or whatever term you want to use, because after all, the function of the heart, and I don't mean now the physical heart, but I mean more the heart chakra, so to speak, is to transmit love. And so if we allow divine love to flow through us, that that's really our role as a cell in God's heart. Yes. Um, you know, I used to think the highest form was love. And where I am now, many years beyond that, or, or different from that, is that um, the, the higher levels are um, consciousness, uh, ordered consciousness, and I think as we evolve more, emotionalism gets less and less, but I'm sort of going planes beyond here, so I, I should slow down there. <laughs> hey, would you talk about John Elmore and uh, just go through his thing and, and what do you want to say about him, and maybe we'll comment, and then I want to make a comment at the end of that. But this is one of the people in your book, and it, this is a very fascinating book, you know, just... Uh, it just goes on to many uh, challenging subjects and uh, gives quite a bit of uh, good information here and there, I, mu- I must say. Well, thank you. To to give your listeners a little bit of background, Courageous Souls, uh, the chapters are organized by type of life challenge. And I tried to write about fairly common challenges because I wanted to make the book as helpful to as many people as possible. So John Elmore is in the first chapter, and that is on the pre-birth planning of physical illness. And there are two stories there, John's, which we'll talk about in a moment, and then there's a woman, Doris, who planned the potential for breast cancer before she was born. And then there are subsequent chapters on the pre-birth planning of having handicapped children, uh, deafness, blindness, drug addiction, alcoholism, the death of a loved one, and severe accidents. Now, the, the format and the methodology is that 
I interview uh, each of these people one-on-one, focusing on the particular life challenge. And then each interviewee has one, two, or three sessions with the mediums and channels in which we ask Spirit the question, did this person plan this challenge before he or she was born, and if so, why? And the particular mediums and channels who are in Courageous Souls uh, were, were chosen from many who volunteered to do this work because they have particular skills that allowed me to access information about the pre-birth plan. One of them, a woman in Arizona, Stacy Wells, she's actually able to both see and hear the conversations we have with each other before we're born. So in working with her, we could eavesdrop, so to speak, on these pre-birth planning sessions, and I put these conversations word for word into the book. Uh, I also work with a medium in New York State, Corby Mitleid. Corby has a number of psychic gifts, one of which is that she can channel a person's soul, a person's higher self. And that gave me the remarkable opportunity to interview souls directly and say to them, what did you plan for this lifetime and why did you plan it? Uh, we also work with Deb Debari, a medium in Chicago. She's very good at speaking with the deceased. So if the interviewee was somebody whose life challenge involved someone else who was now back in spirit, generally we would work with Deb. She would call in the loved one, and I would ask them directly, what did you plan with this person? And then the uh, fourth contributor is a trans channel in Minnesota. Her name is Glenna Dietrich. Glenna generally channels angelic consciousnesses, some of whom serve as guides to people once they're in body. And in fact, this is the case with John Elmore. Uh, we did a session with Glenna, and uh, an angel came through, an angel who serves as a guide to John, and the angel told us in very clear terms what the life plan was all about. So now let's talk about John. John uh, is a homosexual man who planned before he was born to have the AIDS virus, as incredible as that might sound to some people. Now, what we discovered in working with the mediums and the channels is that um, John had had a number of previous lifetimes in which people had said shaming words to him. And when those lifetimes were over and he transitioned back into spirit and had his life review, as we all do, he saw that he had internalized the shaming words, that he had let other people define him to himself. And so he basically said in planning the current lifetime, okay, I'd like to give myself that same challenge, that is, people shaming me, but this time I want to get it right. This time I want to rise above the shaming words and define myself to myself. So what does he do? Well, the first thing he does is that he chooses to incarnate in Livingston, Alabama, which is a town of 2,500 people in 1956. Now, there are very good reasons for this, because by choosing uh, the Deep South in the mid-1950s and growing up as a homosexual male there, John knew from the soul level that he would be in a circumstance in which people would judge him and shame him and scorn him for his sexuality. And this allowed him to give himself this challenge that he was looking for. He also chose parents who would be intolerant of his homosexuality, uh, and these are roles that were scripted out of love before any of them incarnated. The other thing that's really significant about this choice of Alabama in the mid-50s is that uh, John grew up watching race riots on TV. He saw uh, attack dogs turned against African Americans who vote. Uh, the police turned fire hoses on them. These were the images that he saw as he was growing up there. 
And this is all by design because what John Soul is doing by putting him in this place in this time is that he is witnessing an entire race of people being publicly shamed, and that is serving as a mirror to him, to mirror back to him the shame in his heart that he carried into this lifetime for healing. So John has no conscious awareness of any of this, but it doesn't really matter because it's a subconscious reminder to him that this is why you're here, this is the kind of lesson that you are working on, and you're seeing it mirrored back to you by society at large. Okay, let's let's interrupt. Um, that's some interesting interpretations, and Keith also tuned in on the same fellow, and I wanted to get this in because I want to do it before we hit break, which is about two and a half minutes. So Keith had a different read on why he chose some of these lessons. So let, let me let me do this here, Rob, just a minute. So we're talking about John Ilmore, and uh, every time I close my eyes when I ask, you know, why did he um, get rejected, why was he gay, why did he get AIDS, and why did he have all these problems? And I'm just like an open space, and I see this very, very attractive, dark-haired, shapely woman in a nice, tight, old-fashioned dress, maybe in the 40s or 30s or something like that, um, hair done up real nice, walking away from me. And I can tell by the consciousness coming off the back of her head, she's very conscious of how much she just has all the guys going crazy about her, and she just flaunts it. So she has a superior uppity kind of attitude. She struts, and she's beautiful. It just peels off of her. So she's beautiful, shapely, and a healthy woman. And what she does is she manipulates and controls with her her body. She dominates other people that way. So bring it forward to this lifetime. This lifetime she can't turn uh, she can't turn on guys. She's a guy, so now she, he this lifetime has to go one step over and become gay, and then and then try to get a hold of guys that way, which is, to most guys, isn't as attractive as a woman. And then the next level is not only gay, but then sick and riddled with AIDS. And why this is happening, and why shame is so valuable for him. See, shame is valuable in certain cases. It's valuable as a productive driving force of transformation. And so... The shame is from the other lifetime of just making everyone, you know, the women, other women feeling like there's no way we can comp- compete against her, and her just controlling everybody and thinking she was her body and using it just to, you know, stage and lure people, lure guys and that kind of thing. So that's why in this lifetime, uh, uh, he was sort of uh, uh, against the flow of things. He was rejected. He was gay and rejected. He had AIDS and rejected, and he couldn't seduce very well because he had many strikes against him. So this shame was trying to get him to turn back in that part of her the lifetime before and shift that pattern of flaunting it. Boy, that's different, huh? But, you know, the um, the pre-birth plan is, is based, I found, on so many past lives. And uh, it, it, I, I think, you know, the, all of these interpretations are, are correct in that 
uh, it's based on something from the life that you see and then Rob, the mediums that to, I work with. Rob, we need to one. take a break. You're listening to Mastering Ourselves with Keith and Charmaine Amber. Stay with us. We'll be right back. 